Well, I appreciate how the Holy Spirit orchestrates things. Because Diane had no idea what God has laid on my heart to share. We heard about brokenness. And I suppose the if I was to give a title to this message, it would be God is attracted to brokenness. I think the Holy Spirit wants to say something. Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 and 15 read as follows. Then he shall say, Raise up, raise up, prepare the way, pick up every stumbling block from the way of my people. And then verse 15, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Psalm 34:18 puts it this way, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. I don't know about you, but I think this is amazing. That the Almighty God, who fills the whole of heaven, the Almighty God who inhabits eternity, is a God who will release His power and release His presence in our very hearts. Are you amazed at that? He's not a God who's afar off, but He's a God who desires to be very near and very intimately involved with His people. you not find that amazing? God is utterly transcendent, and yet he chooses to make himself personally known. God, by his nature, he is high and he is lifted up. He inhabits eternity. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up in his train, filled the temple. He would prophesy about the Lord in chapter 52.13, My servant will deal prudently, and he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. This is God's nature. He is far above creation. He created this world, but He's not part of it. Unlike me, God is not bound by time. He inhabits eternity. Unlike me, I'm, I'm bound by space, but God is not bound by space. He occupies a high and a holy place. Unlike me, God is not bound by the world's character. He is holy. He fills the heavens. 
The mighty angels are His creation and they are subject to Him. This mighty God who inhabits eternity. But listen to this. This mighty God is pleased to dwell with. Come on. This mighty God is pleased to dwell with and make Himself known to those who are crushed and to those who are poor in spirit. Come on, can I hear an amen for that? Let's get this in our hearts, in our heads, in our conscience, and in our mind. The God who inhabits eternity, that the whole of heaven can't contain Him, has created your human heart to be His habitation. Are we catching the significance of that? It's awesome. These verses in Isaiah 57, they're in tune with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, uh, chapter 62, verse 10, when it says, you know, prepare the way of the Lord. Every mountain will be moved. Every valley should be filled. The crooked places be made straight. The rough places made smooth. The picture in all of these scriptures in Isaiah is, is there's a theme that God has made it possible for His people to return to Him. Amen. God has made it possible for His people to return for Him. We read it in Isaiah. It says, let that which is a stumbling block be taken out of the way. And God is at work. And whatever prevents this from happening is being taken out of the way. Hallelujah. Come on. The language in all of these scriptures in Isaiah is that God is building a highway. He is establishing a roadbed that's high, raised high above the, the countryside on its sides so that it has an adequate foundation under it. All the bumps, all the potholes will be removed to make the way smooth. In other words, Isaiah is saying this, get your foundations right. Get your foundations right. Then nothing will stand between the way of God's people and God's presence. I don't know how to express what I'm sensing in my heart, but what God wants to share here today. But the God who inhabits eternity, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that said, let there be light, and there was light. The God that created the majestic angels. The God that is so big that the heavens themselves can't contain Him. Wants to reveal Himself in all His glory, in all His power, to you and to me. And He's done something to get every stumbling block out of the way. Wow. What is the stumbling block that Isaiah talked about? Well, it's already been identified in Isaiah back in chapter 8. And let me tell you what the stumbling block is in Isaiah. It is a hard heart. Unbroken heart. It is an unbroken, hard heart that refuses to give God the place that He deserves in our lives. It is nothing other than than pride.
Pride is the stumbling block between anybody and revival. That's what it is. What kind of a revival do we want? Because we're going to go into another month of prayer. We're going to seek God yet again. The Bible says to pray with all perseverance. And we plan on doing that. What kind of a revival do we want? How deeply do we want to know the presence of God in our midst? Do we only want a surface experience... And I know the answer to that. Do we only want a surface experience? Or do we want a deeply felt and a deeply experienced knowledge of the Almighty? What are we after? What do we want? Do we want a revival that will manifest itself for a season of power, but then withers away because there was no foundation laid? Because there were no roots that reached to the depth of our hearts? Do we want to have experiences without change? Or, here's my choice, do we want to be utterly transformed by the utterly transcendent God who makes Himself known? What do we want? What do we want? Do we want our hearts to be utterly transformed by an utterly transcendent God who has chosen to make Himself known. As we pursue the presence of God, we have to lay the proper foundation in our hearts for His habitation. What is God looking for when He seeks for a heart in which He can make Himself known? Can we make ourselves attractive to Him? And the answer is yes we can make ourselves attractive to Him. What are we after? Are we after happiness? Or are we after holiness? We're in the pursuit of God's presence. And allow me to speak for a minute or two with the pastoral heart here. At times it would seem to me that out there in the large church world that exists out there, that there's a variety of ministries, in my estimation, it seems their goal is to give people a highly charged emotional experience and then try to keep them there as a sign that revival has come. That's my opinion of many things that I see out there. But I would argue that the real world that you and I live in is not one of constant giddiness. Would you agree with that? The world that you and I have to relate to is not one of constant giddiness, but the world that you and I relate to is one of real and difficult challenges. Now, that's the biggest amen i got so far, you know. At times it seems you and I are put to the test constantly without reprieve. No amen on that one. And yet there is a mindset to me in the large church world out there that believers are seeking relief from trial instead of victory in the midst of life. 
Would you agree with that assessment? We want to run, and, and it's almost like we treat some church meetings and some revivals like a drug. We've just got to escape for a while and have this experience for a while. But we're having experiences without having foundations laid in the heart. And the fact is, after the laughter is all over, you've got to go back and face life again. Isn't that not correct? Now, no, don't get me wrong. Sometimes a real good and a hearty laugh will do your world a good. Amen? Amen. It's like a temporary release valve that lets some steam off that's been building up. And some of the best therapy you can have is go tell a joke or something and laugh your, your foolish head off. It does good for you. You know, thank God for it. But we're praying that God will make His presence known and make His presence manifest. We're going to pray that God breaks through with gifts of the Spirit, that He breaks through with healings and prophetic ministry and deliverances and salvations. And my Bible teaches me, according to Isaiah, I am assured that the mighty and the absolutely, utterly transcendent God is looking for a people to whom He can make Himself known. Is that not right? So here is the question then. How can we attract the presence of God? Is there anything you and I as believers can do that will attract the presence of God? I could speak, but I won't, but I could speak about the ministry of praise because Psalm 22 and verse 3 that says the High of the Holy One inhabits the praises of His people. And that tells me that you and I must learn at all costs to be not passive, but we must be an aggressively praising church who have disciplined ourselves to be unashamed, to openly express our hearts in gratitude to the Almighty God. And if we say, well, that's not my nature, then I would say, learn. Learn. Open your heart and trust God and learn to pour out your heart, your soul, your emotions, your thoughts, your minds to God. And God inhabits the praises of His people. We could go there, but I won't today because I feel the burden of the Lord is this. The primary and the proper foundation for attracting the presence of God is brokenness. Being contrite before God. Sometimes I get the impression when I see people praying for revival. Oh, this land is so bad. You know, the government's doing this and this law is being passed and we see all the sin around us and God give us revival. And by praying for revival, we almost mean we want society to measure up to our standards of what we think righteousness is. Have you ever read Isaiah chapter 5 recently? Probably not, but have you ever read Isaiah chapter 5? Where the prophet is looking around society all around him, and all the way through Isaiah 5 is, Whoa! Whoa! (laughs) Woe to this society. Woe to those who rise up early just for a drink. 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And Isaiah chapter 5 was full of pronouncements of woe against this world in which Isaiah finds himself. So he cast a lot of woe upon the world. Then he has the experience of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And you know what? He changed his tune. It was no longer woe to society. It was was what? Woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people. The thing is, we need more than a party. We need revival where life's problems get solved. Amen? We need more than a time of exhilaration, but we need a powerful inner transformation of the heart. It seems to me that some people, I'm repeating myself, seek experiences so they can escape the pressures of life, but God wants to transform hearts so people can be victorious in the midst of the challenges of life. Jesus said, in this world, you get it tough. In this world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And instead of seeking relief from the pressures of life, we can have a revelation of God that does something in the human heart and brings the power of God into your human heart so you can stand victoriously staring down the challenges of life. Jesus said in this world, you get it tough. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It is brokenness. It is contrition of heart that God is attracted to. Some while back, a member did a a message about David, King David, and King Saul. King David learned this lesson the hard way about what attracts the presence of God. Everybody knows his story of adultery with Bathsheba. How could David, who was so chosen by God, for such a central purpose in the plan of God, the purpose of God, how could he do what he did? How could he turn his back on the grace of God and the goodness of God for his whole life? And how could he be so blessed and allow himself to fall into that kind of a position. And yet, after he commits adultery, he will not confess it, but he wants to hide it. And he even goes as far as to cover up his sin with the murder of Bathsheba's husband. He knew all along that he was wrong before God. In the Psalms that he wrote when he was under conviction, he really is really under it, bad. And he knew he was wrong, but instead of dealing with it, instead of confessing it, he continues to pursue a sinful course and he chooses to run away from conviction. He allows his heart to get hard rather than allowing his heart to be contrite before God. When Nathan the prophet finally confronted him, David finally broke. But David knew that no mere outer show of repentance could not suffice. He knew that he had violated the grace of God in his life. 
He knew he had violated the very nature of God by what he did. He knew what he had did was seriously bad. And it wasn't just a case, well, let me find a, a sheep and make a burnt offering. He knew that wasn't going to cut it with the Lord. And so in his repentance, he knew that he had to have an inner attitude that had to be proper before God and had to be correct before God. And he knew what God wanted was a transformed and a changed heart. Amen? And so he would say in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite spirit, O God. I like this, come on. A broken and a contrite spirit. Let me paraphrase this. A broken and a contrite spirit attracts the attention of God. Come on. King James says, a broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise. God will not hold it at arm's length. As serious as what David did, if there's brokenness and there's contrition, it attracts the presence of God. So we might ask a question then, what is brokenness? When the Bible talks on this theme of brokenness, what it's referring to, and I think we can define it as follows. It's agreeing with God's assessment of our hearts. It's agreeing with God's assessment of our lives as He sees them. Brokenness means we cease resisting God and we allow God to overpower us. The difficulty with the human heart is that it wants to justify itself. Is that it wants to place the blame on somebody else or something else that happened to them in their past. Rather than accept responsibility, people want to play the victim and it's always somebody else's fault. That's the human heart. That's the human heart. Brokenness is smashing through that barrier. Brokenness attracts the presence of God. Consider these two kings, King Saul and King David. They both committed atrocious sins. Both of them had to be confronted by prophets. Both of them ended up in the deceitfulness of sin and had hard hearts, which is obviously the opposite of brokenness. Of the two men, I think you'd probably agree with me that King David committed the greater sins. I believe the sins that David committed were far greater than the sins of King Saul. King Saul, if you remember, he once usurped the office of a priest. The Israelites were getting ready to battle, but before they go, they had to make an offering, and Samuel just seemed to be taking his time, and it wasn't get there to, in time to make the offering. And so King Saul gets nervous. You know what he does? He goes and does it for, on his own initiative. And of course, just after he does it, guess who shows up? What have you done? You weren't to do that. Or in King Saul, when they were at war with the Amalekites, the, the, the word was, take no prisoners. Don't even go after their sheep and bring them back. And after the battle is over and King Saul is victorious, the bleeding of sheep is behind him and they spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Saul said, we have done what the Lord said. And Samuel says, well, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? You know what Samuel does? Well, the people. You know, those are good sheep. We could use them in the, in the Lord's offerings, you know. And he made excuses. 
King David, on the other hand, adultery and murder. Adultery was not forgivable under the law of Moses. You were stoned to death. Murder was not forgivable under the law of Moses. You were stoned to death. There were no offerings to give for adultery and murder because they were both punishable by death. So it seems to me that as bad as Saul's sins were, they were lesser than David's. But Saul loses the kingdom. And David retains the kingdom and his life is spared. So I'm going to ask you the question, why? I believe here's the answer. It's because God never despises brokenness and contrition. Brokenness attracts the presence of God, the ultimate attitude of the heart. When he was confronted, King Saul made excuses. He shifted the blame for his behavior on other people or other circumstances. His concern was to avoid the consequences of his behavior, but not to deal with the behavior itself. He was consumed with a despairing focus of self-pity and problems rather than clearing himself before an almighty God. And therefore, he lost out. David, on the other hand, when he finally yielded, he allowed himself to be crushed. He brought everything out to the open and refused to hide anything because he knew this. He knew if he didn't get it right with God, he would forfeit the presence of God in his life. Serious stuff, isn't it? If he didn't get it right, he would forfeit the grace and the presence of God in his life. That's why he would cry out like this in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit or uphold me with a free spirit. And he knew this, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God will never refuse. Powerful stuff. So when you contrast David against Saul, David took ownership, fully confessed his personal guilt before God. Now, David could have come up with all sorts of excuses why he did what he did. I'm tired. I'm weary of constant battle. I'm lonely. But David would not allow himself to fall back on any excuse. But he took responsibility for his actions, his thoughts, and his responses. And he allowed himself to be broken, humbled, and contrite before God. That word contrite is an interesting word. What does this word mean, contrite? It's a word that is used to describe how you take a rock and turn it into powder. That's what contrite means. It means to crush. It means the grinding on a rock that reduces that rock to powder. There's a rock called talc out of which you get talcum powder. 
Now what's interesting with the talcum powder, you mix it with some perfume and then it becomes a cosmetic. Now there is some powerful truth here. When people go through difficult experiences and we are feel that we are crushed, if we keep our heart and attitude before God correct, God could take those crushing experiences, turn them into makeup, and cause us to be attractive to God. Are you catching that? Causes us to become attractive to God. God is attracted to contrition. Sometimes life is just hard. We can either choose to be broken by the experience or we can choose contrition before God that makes us attractive before God. Let me read Psalm 147 verses 3 to 6. A powerful truth here. These verses in Psalm 147, 3-6 say the following. He heals the brokenhearted. Come on. He heals the brokenhearted. I'll say it again. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Did you catch what the psalmist is, is saying there? This same God that created all the stars. One night on a clear night, when it's dark, you should go out in the countryside and just look at all the stars. He created them all. He's given every one of them a name. He knows each one of them intimately. And this God who inhabits eternity, who is so great and so awesome and so big, and so powerful is the same God that will take that same power and minister that same power to our brokenness before Him. Man, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. God is attracted to brokenness. He's attracted to contrition, but He stiffs arms anybody who is proud and has a hard heart. He stiffs arms them. But he's attracted to brokenness. You see, there's power in brokenness. I want you to consider the life of Jacob. Wrestling match with an angel all night long. When he was broken, he became a prince with God. Brokenness caused his name to be changed from Jacob to Israel. Remember the story of Gideon's army of 300. 300 against how many? How many tens of thousands were they up against? And only 300. And you remember they had their lanterns 
hidden in pitchers? And what happened when those, those pitchers were broken? What did brokenness release? Think about five loaves and a few fish. What happened when they were broken? As we heard already, what happens when the alabaster box is broken? What happens when the body of Jesus hanging on the cross was broken? What happens when God's people lay the foundation in their hearts of brokenness before God? What happens? It's an amazing, amazing thing. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah is going to repeat this theme yet again. Listen to what it says. It says, For thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. So where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand made them. And it's because of me all those things exist, the Lord says. But you want to know where I dwell and make myself known? Here's the one I look to. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Listen again. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Will he dwell in a house that we can make him even if we made it out of gold? Will he dwell in a house that we can make him if we made the whole house out of silver or precious stones? What's the greatest magnificent building anybody in this world could ever build? Will God dwell there? And the answer is no, because he is utterly transcendent and God cannot be confined to such a place. But listen to this. Oh, this is powerful. But the human heart was created to be his habitation. You should be excited about that one. The human heart, your heart, was created to be his dwelling place, his resting place, his habitation. And the Bible says that the mighty transcendent God will bring the fullness of his power to the heart of the broken and the contrite before him. Wow. Wow. Are we catching that? What kind of revival do we want? I just don't want a revival of an experience that comes and it goes and gives us a high like a drug would give us. I want a revival where the transcendent God makes himself known. Are you with me? Is that your heart's desire? It's an amazing. One who trembles at His Word. One who's quick to obey His heart. One who's quick to obey His principles. One who is quick not to make excuses why we don't obey. Contrite 
and brokenness before Him, completely bearing our hearts before Him, letting Him speak whatever He wants to speak without resistance in our lives. Complete brokenness, the Bible teaches us, brings revival. We want revival, but the path to revival is brokenness. Amen? The path to revival is contrition before God. Listen to the power of brokenness. According to the verses we read in Isaiah and in the book of Psalms, brokenness brings heaven-sent revival. According to Isaiah and what we read in the Psalms, brokenness is attractive to God and it always brings God near. According to Isaiah and the Psalms, brokenness or contrition always brings divine deliverance. According to Isaiah and the Psalms, brokenness brings about personal favor of God into our lives. I'm hungry for the presence of God. As I shared yesterday morning, I've been privileged to see some awesome things in different countries that God's allowed me to go to over the years. I've seen powerful expressions of the Spirit of God. Powerful deliverances. Powerful expressions of the joy of the Lord, especially in Africa. I'll never forget the moment in Kigali, Rwanda, to those who have been crushed by genocide, a million people in a hundred days, murdered with machetes. Going into there and trying to, to preach to pastors after they've been through that experience. I'll never forget the time when the joy of the Lord came on them. And God gave them victory in the midst of hell. There's power in the Spirit of God. I'll never forget the time in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe with a group of 200 pastors and church leaders from all over the country. So devastated by an inflation rate of 254 million percent inflation rate. The country just broken, 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 broken. No schools, no hospitals, no health, no money, no food, no water, disease rampant, no doctors, nothing. Plus political oppression is going on. I'll never forget the moment when the interpreter said, do you mind if we stop preaching for a while? We Africans have got to dance. And the joy of the Lord came in. Folks, I have been privileged to see some awesome things. And I want to tell you, seeking the presence of God is worth every effort. The demonstration of victory and the demonstration of power. And yes, I, I, I just don't want laughter because we had a laughing meeting. I want the laughter that results because the Lord has turned our captivity turned our mourning into dancing, and we shout. The breakthrough power of the Holy Ghost 
And that's what I'm after. That's what I'm hungry for. I want the manifestation of the utterly transcendent God to make himself known in time and eternity and in the midst of his people here in this place. I'm hungry for it. I'm yearning for it. I desire for it. I want the kingdom to come. I want the kingdom of heaven to break through in people's circumstances and in people's lives. I want to see people saved. I want to see the prophetic ministry as we shared yesterday. I want to see it released and everybody come up to higher levels in it. I want to see people healed. I want to see people saved. I want to see deliverance. I want to see the manifestation of the power of the kingdom of heaven. I'm not interested in church as usual. I'm interested in thy kingdom come. Amen? But the path to a church is brokenness before God. If that's the kind of revival we want, then it's being contrite before God. It's being broken and humble and yielded before God. The high and holy one who inhabits eternity will be pleased to make that same power known to hearts that are broken and contrite before Him. Amen? Who am I speaking to today? Look around me. I see a bunch of ordinary people. Some of us work in factories. Some of us are joiners or carpenters, secretaries, painters, decorators. Some are retired. Some work in grocery stores. Some are self-employed tradesmen. Some of us are metal workers, window washers. Some of us on disability. Some of us counselors, clerks in stores. Some of us managers, cashiers, employed by the public school system, daycare workers, care home workers, police department, doctor, army career, meter readers, bank employees, preachers, hairdressers, hospital employees, housewives raising children. Have I missed anybody? Firemen? Firemen. You know what? Is that what's really in front of me? I would say, no, that's not what's really in front of me. What I see is people are hungry for God. What I am seeing is people who are willing to pay the price. What I'm seeing is people who will allow themselves to go the route of broken and contrition before God. That's what I'm seeing. That tells me that there's enough potential right here and in this room because God is attracted to brokenness. There is enough potential in front of me in this room to transform a city. 
And don't go in unbelief on me here. There's enough potential to transform a city. There's enough potential to transform a nation. There is enough potential to touch a world. Because it's not up to you and me anyway. All we need is the utterly transcendent God to make himself known because he's found people of brokenness that he can be attracted to. Amen. That's the kind of revival I'm looking for. That's the path to revival that the Scripture teaches. Lord, may your kingdom come. Hallelujah.